Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Passionate conference, it's going to be brilliant. Thanks so much to our worship team. And we're welcoming this morning all of our Arise campuses. We're obviously also welcoming this morning those that are watching this online. And we're also welcoming appointed church in Malaysia to our service this morning. So no matter where you are, even at home, can you just clap everywhere? In Malaysia where the food is great and the weather is warm. We are just so glad to be joining together with everybody this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, would you turn with me this morning to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is going to be our start off text for this morning. We're going to dive around a few other verses as well as we launch into a new series this morning that's simply entitled God's, God's and the only God that matters. I was at uh, Hillsong Conference not last year, 2014, but in 2013. And there was a speaker asked to share a session at the conference that I'll admit when he he first took the stage or when I first realized that he was gonna speak at the conference, I was a little bit surprised. His name is Charles Neiman. And that means that it should be no surprise that Dr. Charles Neiman was invited to speak, being one of the world's great Christian statesmen, and to be invited to speak at Hillsong Conference seems absolutely right. But Charles Neiman's wife had passed away, I think maybe less than a year from the time that he was speaking at Hillsong Conference. I want to say, and I might be wrong, that it was about six months before he spoke in what has to be one of the most significant Christian gatherings in the world today. One of the most watched Christian events, especially in the Western world. And Dr. Charles Neiman was preaching so soon after the death of his wife. I'll be honest, when I, when I heard that he was speaking, I, I kind of didn't really have a high level of expectation. I mean, I thought he would do okay. I thought this was maybe just gonna be a good session. The, the speaking lineup for the conference is amazing. I mean, if there is a, a dream list, then that's pretty much what you're gonna find at the likes of a Hillsong conference. I also love running a Rise conference because I just get to invite my favorite preachers to preach at a Rise. And a bunch of them were, were speaking at this conference as well. You know, you got T.D. Jakes and, you know, uh, Craig Rochelle and a bunch of others were ministering at the conference. Well, you would not have suspected that a man whose wife had passed away six months before would be the session of that conference. But I think that every person in the room knew only about 10 minutes into his talk that Dr. Charles Neiman was going to steal the show when it came to Hillsong Conference 2013. As he spoke about the process of going through the loss of his wife, this man's depth of his relationship with God, his passion for God, and the impact of his faith on what has to be the toughest event that any human being can ever go through, it absolutely rocked my world. And you know what? If there is one thing that is going to happen for every single person hearing my voice this morning, it is that everybody is going to suffer loss. 
I don't know how great you think your life is today, how wonderful everything is going. Maybe there are people here in the middle of just amazing contracts at work, dream jobs, in love with the perfect person. Maybe everything is going great in your life. But I want you to know that no matter how high the high, everybody will come to a point that is low. We will suffer loss in our lives. Whether it's a loss of reputation, this is not a very positive start, is it? But stay with me. A loss of reputation, a loss of money, a loss of a relationship. Uh, Here's one I'm coming to grips with, the loss of youth, you know. When one of these 20-somethings gets on a bicycle and whips me up a hill and I'm left panting in their wake, it's, a, it's probably the first time in my life that I'm confronted with the reality that I'm actually not 21. I feel like I am. I, I, I think, I think, I think, I think like I am. But I come to these moments of loss when I realize that I am in fact not anymore, uh, whether it's the loss of a loved one, you know, whether it's the loss of an investment, the loss of love, the loss of health, you know, we are all going to suffer loss. It's true. And in moments of loss in our lives, this is when we discover so much about ourselves. In moments of loss, it's when our lives are reevaluated. People change the most when they go through crisis. When our lives, what our lives are built on is truly exposed when we go through moments when the things in our lives come tumbling down, it's then then we see what is truly the foundation upon which our lives are built. And in moments of loss, we will all face one of two emotions, sorrow or despair. These are real emotions. These are events that take place in life. And sorrow is when you lose something you love. Despair, however, is when you lose the one thing that you love, the ultimate thing that you love. When you go through sorrow, it takes time. There's no easy way. It's not easy, it's not, it's not like, you know, everything's gonna be all right tomorrow, but when you go through sorrow, there is an assurance that there will be a tomorrow. I have lost something, I loved what I have lost, it has hurt me dearly, but I have not lost the thing. And so therefore, tomorrow has hope for me. But when you face despair, it's different. Despair is when you lose the ultimate thing that you love. When you lose that which is central to you, you have despair. What you have longed for, what you have attached all your hopes and your dreams to, and it is now gone. Well, that's when life comes crashing down and despair and bewilderment overtake our lives in the most amazing way. When we face these moments of loss, we will all experience either sorrow and despair. And the difference between the two emotions is how close it is to us, the thing that we have lost, how ultimate that loss is in our world determines 
the depth or perhaps the amount of emotion that we experience. Sorrow or loss, sorry, or despair. With this in mind, we turn to the first commandment that God ever gave to us in Exodus chapter 20. And it starts in Exodus chapter 20, verse one. It says here, you know, listen up, everybody pay attention. God spoke these words and He said, I am the Lord God. And our two verses really for this series of messages begin in verse three, where it says, you shall have, the first commandment God ever gave us, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is in verse four, and it says, and you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. When we read these things, when we read these commandments, in some ways, they sound to me just a little bit surprising because God is God. I mean, it's kind of for me in my life, no question about that. And the recipients of this original commandment or commandments were the Israelites. They were God's people and God's first instruction to them was you shall have no other gods before me. But the truth is, my friends, as unlikely as that should seem to us, because God is God, right? The truth is that in the reality, in the outworking, in the day-to-day -day of our lives, this is what happens all the time. And this is why we know despair because something other than God becomes central to our lives because we place another God before Him. And every instruction God ever gave us was given by a God of love. Does anybody believe that this morning? There is no commandment in the Bible given by a malicious, deceitful, cruel or unusual God. The God that we serve is the God of love, the God of generational blessing, the God of ridiculous favour, the God of unending grace, the God of whose mercies are new every morning. And when God gave us this first commandment, it is not for a self-serving purpose. God is saying, I want to protect your lives. I want you to build your life on a foundation that can never be shaken. I want you to build your daily experience on something that can never be taken away from you. And that's why God said to us, you shall have no other gods before me. What could possibly be a God before the one true God. Well, the amazing thing about these first and second commandments is that in many ways, they flow one to the next. I mean, God wants to make it abundantly clear and He is obviously the only true God. That's why this series begins with God's with a small g because there is only one big g. 
And that is the one true G. Can we say amen? But we make for ourselves gods, other things that take that central place. Not a thing, the one thing. Not something, when something becomes our everything, then it becomes the God of our lives. So God gave us the first commandment, and then because that could be vague, He gave to us the second commandment, where He said, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Gods and idols, gods and idols. And in reality, these are exactly the same things because there is nothing above God, but we make an idol and He breaks it down and He says, you shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. In other words, you shall not make for yourself a God out of anything in all of the realms of the universe, the heavens, the earth, and the waters. In other words, you can pretty much make a God out of anything. When something in our lives becomes fundamental, at that moment, it becomes our God. See, the truth is, my friends, that because we are human, we have a worship need in our lives. That's really where the series began, was with this thought of worship. But the truth is that we must worship. And when we take something in our lives, when a thing in our lives becomes the thing in our lives, it has become a God for us. When we esteem it, when we take something, some value, some person, some experience, some want, some, some ideal of life, when we take anything and we give it esteem of the ultimate, when we give it preeminence, when we give something in our world our adoration, our Lordship, meaning that it determines what we do, when we give it control over us, then it becomes the God that we worship. And our ways of thinking are influenced by the God that we worship. I know when we come into a, a modern age like the one that we're in, it seems so strange to speak of gods, of idols, and of worship. But we worship what has ever become the ultimate thing in our lives. When that something becomes the one thing, our everything, it's what we worship. And God made us a command. You shall have no other gods before me. No idol will ever take my place. And the reason for this is because He is the only one worthy of that place. He is the only one who deserves our worship. And He is the only God, the only God who desires to bless our lives. 
See, if you turn over with me this morning to another passage that's been so important to us in our church's journey, and it's the book of Romans chapter one, and a message that really gripped my heart called Thoughtpocalypse a couple of years ago. In the book of Romans chapter one and verse 21, the, the writer, the Apostle Paul, makes this incredible statement. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, they neither worshiped Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They lost the one true God as the ultimate expression of their worship. They were thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And here it is. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God and uh, for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. It goes on and says in verse 24, uh, that therefore God gave them over their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is to be, who is forever praised, amen. They worshiped and served. They placed in adoration, they placed in preeminence, they placed in their lives as the ultimate, a created thing. They worshiped and served. They worshiped and then began to live their lives in line with something that was a God, small g, and not the one true God with the big G. To put it simply, they made for themselves an idol. So in the Old Testament and in the New, in the ancient age, and I put it to you, in the modern age. Um, I heard this with a, in a live presentation, so I don't have the stat, but a man I respect very much, a sociologist, told an audience recently where I was that when surveyed, modern young people have two uniting ideals for the future of their lives. One at 93% and one at 91%. All the others paled into comparison to two overarching ideals of what this generation wants for the future of their lives. The first, the greatest attribute, 93% to be famous, 91% to be thin. The two greatest desires of a generation are to be famous and to be skinny. Are these ideals? Are these aspirations? Or do they become in the day-to-day -day experience of our lives, gods and idols? The offerings people bring in our generation are prepared to bring worship, that are prepared to bring worship to these ideals. The lengths to which people are willing to go to attribute devotion to the gods that they worship are both cruel and punishing and exact great damage from their lives. 
The Greeks worshipped a God by the name of Aphrodite. And we, in ages past, they would bring to her their worship. She was the God of beauty. And we could say in our day that we don't worship Aphrodite anymore. But when inordinate amounts of money are spent to nip, tuck, enhance, reduce, and keep from aging, when young women are depressed and have eating disorders because of an obsessive, obsessive concern for their body image, are we not worshiping Aphrodite? The Greek god of wealth was called Plutos, and wealth was desired. Power was what they sought. When money and power become our consuming passions, when we work so hard and so long and with such religious devotion that children and families pay the ultimate price, are we not offering our own form of child sacrifice? You know, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, that greed is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. In other words, greed is just Plutos rebranded as commerce. And our lives, our challenge will always come back to God's and idols. So what in our lives is an idol? It's gonna get better as the series goes on. Stay with me. What is an idol? An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your, absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you, anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs our heart and imagination more than God, anything we seek to give what only God can give. At that point, it has become to us an idol. Anything in our lives can become an idol when it begins to take top place, number one place in decisions, in values, and in life. When it moves from a thing to the thing, at that moment, it has become for us an idol. Gods and idols are not found in the murky corners of society. Gods and idols are found in the nearest and dearest things to us. The objects of our affection, the central desires of our lives, when they take a place that only God should take. You know, in our lives, we find our gods firstly in our daydreams. What consumes our imaginations, what what, what really is held up for us as an aspiration to which we seek? I mean, in this age where fame is perhaps one of the greatest things that is spoken of and popularity is something for which our social media generation is willing to pay the most exorbitant prices for. It is easy for your imagination to be consumed by the most fickle and vain of things. The desire to be more popular, the want to have people like you, to have the esteem of your peers, to be the one who is above. 
When I found Jesus at the age of 18, church, the truth is that my salvation, my, my story of discovering Jesus completely transformed my life. I wanted God. I wanted Him so bad. I, I desired Him in my life. And man, did my life just take off because when God is the thing, the number one thing in your life, then boy, does He bring blessing and peace and joy and purpose and direction. Does anybody believe that? If you believe it, no matter where you are, then give that God some praise this morning. Come on. Come on, He is worthy of our worship. And oh man, my life began to take off. Not only did my life begin to take off, but I found myself as a follower of Jesus, no longer squandering my money with all, with all this extra money in my hands that I wasn't spending partying and doing stuff that I did before I found Christ. And then you know what? It's like easily, as quickly as you fall in love with God, seems to be as quickly as an idol begins to want you to, to seek to divert your gaze because we live in a world that worship is part of our daily existence. I go to the same cathedrals of modernity that you go to, our, our grand shopping malls that are filled with our excellence and beauty, filled with images that uh, aspire, we aspire to be like these offerings that we can bring that will somehow make us more favored in the community in which we live. And I guess I fell in love with fashion, with clothing. And I'll never forget when I was a young believer walking into a store and seeing uh, in a Barker's store. This is back in the days of Beverly Hills 90210. Is there anyone old enough hearing me this morning to remember Beverly Hills 90210? Do we have an image of Beverly Hills 90210? I'm not sure if it's gonna come up everywhere, but it's gonna come up on some screens. We're gonna, we're gonna give you a little flashback. Uh, these are the days of Beverly Hills 90210, the days of 508 jeans, um, the days of bright colors. And I walked in to the store and I found this jacket and it was just like what they were wearing in Beverly Hills 90210. I'm 18, 19 years old and I immediately know if I purchase this jacket, then the popular people will like me more. That's just the way I'm being honest with you. So I'm walking towards the jacket and the Lord speaks into my heart and He says, don't buy that jacket. And I'm like, that's not God. That can't be, that can't be the voice of God. It was just a disquiet in my soul, but I knew that in my heart, there was something in me that thought this jacket, this, this line of thinking, this homage to this God of popularity and esteem, this will bring blessing into my lives. So I did what probably most of us would do in this situation, if we're really honest, I bought that jacket. And I tell you what, everywhere I went, people thought I was good. I mean, you know, I, 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 mean, I, you know, I, I, I had swagger. People were like, wow, John, you look great, you know? I had my hair like, you know, really big and back and off to the side. And, you know, it's kind of like similar to what I've got now, which is really weird. But anyway, uh, and, you know, so, so you know, I, I had this hair and I had this jacket. And for the next like 10 days, I, I wore this jacket, but I 
could, I could be honest with you and say that every minute, every minute I wore this jacket, every time people said something to me to compliment the jacket, I knew that I was not supposed to have this jacket. I gave that jacket away. I eventually, in fact, I gave it to my pastor. Don't do this to me, but um, with an idol in your life, find somebody, find somebody else. But because it was supremely awkward for me, and I'm sure it was more awkward for my pastor. But I just had such this burden of, of, of conviction on my life that I gave away that jacket. And a few days later in prayer, because it didn't end there, the Lord really took me on a journey where I looked daggy for about the next nine months. And you're talking to a kid who's chosen his own clothes since I was three years old. Fashion, I'm aware of it. I see everything. God took me on a journey for nine months where I just looked daggy for the next nine months of time. And the Lord dropped into my heart and He said, John, your confidence must be in me and not in the outward adornment of your life. Come on. And you know what, friends? When a thing becomes the thing, at that moment, we've found a God. The second place you can find the idols in your life is in what you fear. What you fear comes into our lives when you hold a value, when you hold something up in your life other than God. I have been afraid in the presence of Jillian many times in my life. <laughs> now listen, never because of her anger, or maybe once. <laughs> That's not true. Because of her beauty. When I fell in love with Jillian, there was in me this overwhelming nervousness and sense of fear. And I reckon thousands of men hearing me this morning understand what I'm talking about. When you, when you see a girl that is so beautiful, there is a reaction of fear in you. This is a great place to start with our understanding of what it is to worship God. Because we fear God, not for His vengeance, but for His absolute brilliance. And when we live our lives out of devotion to God, my devotion to Jillian makes me want the date to go well, her life to go well, because I give her this place of esteem. She can never be greater in my life than God. And you know what? That's in some ways romantic love. Let's not go there. Let's go for everything else in our lives of which we are afraid. When fears begin to dominate our lives, when our, when our, when our concern for things begins to overtake our very reality, when that fear grips us about a thing, it has become for us a God and an idol. Um, in the story of, of our journey, you know, Jillian and I, after we came to Wellington and we became the pastors of Arise, that's when we bought our first home. And it was just so amazing. And we were so blessed. But then we lived in that home for a couple of years and we discovered that we had purchased a leaky home. And we discovered that our home, you know, had some rotting timber on the inside of it. And it was for me the onslaught of fear. I shook uncontrollably 
I had knots in my stomach. My stomach would just literally just shake like that. My hands had a quiver for maybe a period of one or two weeks. It was the most nerve-wracking, painful time in my life. And looking back, I have to ask myself the question, why? I mean, it's just a house, right? But the reality is it represented for me not just the loss of my equity, but the loss of people looking at me and saying, you own a home. Oh, so your journey has been good, worth it, right? It represented to me my reputation. It represented to me my ministry. It represented for me my equity, my future, that want to be successful. I didn't realize it until I was in the middle of it, but it had become in my life an idol. And you know what, over the next few months, some of the darkest days of my life have been some of the most instrumental. Up until that experience in my life, I have struggled with sleeping all my life in a profound way. And I reckon it's one is my brilliance, just the gift of, just the way I think. I just am a weird person. Some of my greatest moments have been the darks of the night. And in other times, it's been me trying to figure out my situations on my own to save the things that I esteem in my life. And I reckon it was about six months into that journey, in the middle of the night, I suddenly realized, Arise was this fledgling church, you know, Lara was born, Will was on the way, Jillian remarkably in the middle of all that, was madly in love with me. And I began to realize that you could take this house, you could take this equity, you could even take my job. If I became financially insolvent and couldn't be the pastor of a rise anymore, you could even take my job. But you couldn't take the lives that have found Christ in a rise. You couldn't take Jillian from me. You couldn't take Lara from me. You couldn't take my friends from me. And I started to realize that what I valued was not worth a moment's sleeplessness in my life because it was not God. The house was not God. Your reputation is not God. Your health is not God. Man, there is nothing in this world that can be taken from you that should result in fear in our lives because there is only one true God and His name is Jesus. He is the only one that we should fear. Come on, if you believe that, could you, wherever you are, in Malaysia, in Whangarei, come on, Carpety, let's give Him some praise. He is the only one. The third place you can find an idol in your life is in your emotional reactions. When you're just like fired up over things, that's out of kilter. It's when something has become so close to you that to control the situation is your overwhelming desire. And when anything in our lives becomes the one thing, the central passion, it has become a God to us. And let's be clear that any God in our lives other than the one true God, any image we construct, any passion that becomes of greater importance than Him, it is a cruel and ruthless God. 
no other God but Jehovah, no other God but God has a plan to bring blessing to your life. No other God will prosper your dreams, will give life to your soul, will make your rest peaceful other than Him. Man, you can achieve all the success you want in life, but if it's for the God of wealth and money, you will pay the most horrible price. If we learn anything, it is that fame is fleeting. And for this young generation, let me tell you, you can find it for a moment and give to it your soul. There is only one giver of life, only one God of blessing. Only one God worthy of our worship. Only one God who when He takes the number one place in our life, takes it like hand in glove. And that is the one true living God and His Name is Jesus. His Name is Jesus. Come on, wherever you are, come on one more time. Give Him some praise. Give Him some praise. I've gone over time. I've gone over time, but let me just, I gotta just take two more minutes. Can we allow me two more minutes? About 14 people, I've got 28 minutes, that's great. So how does it work then? If, our, if, if we have gods, if we have idols, how does it work then? Do we care for nothing? Do we have nothing? Never love anything other than God? And it's important, and we got four weeks, so stay with us on this series, but it is important to know that nearly everything in our lives is fine, just not to worship. If it's only a thing and not the thing, it makes all the difference in the world. I did look like, a, 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 you know, I don't know, I did look daggy for nine months but once God had worked it in my life, praise God, and I'm sure the young people in our church are grateful for the fact, because you know, the, you know, I speak to their non-Christian friends, I'm glad that you know, I don't have to still look like that, but the thing dropped back to a thing. So the answer to our idols is to surrender them. The way we change from it being the thing to just a thing is to give it back to God. Give to it to God and with such a heart that says He may never ever choose to give it back to me. We give all we have to God. This is the way we free our hearts from gods and idols. We give to Him every want, we give to Him every fear. We give to Him every dream, every right we have ever clinged to. We give every gift back to the giver. We give everything we love to the author of love. We give all that we fear and we place it in the feet of the one who is the only one whom we should fear. Because my friends, we will never know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. You know, um, I'll close with the stories. The band come and join me. Uh, you know, after, I'll I, I never forget when my daughter Lara was born. I mean, from the time Lara has born until this day, she has had me round her little finger. 
I mean, you know, I, I have pretty much spent the last 10 years just absolutely besotted with my little daughter. I just love her so much. And, and yet after Lara was born, there was just this yearning in me for a son. I wanted, I wanted a son. And I'll never forget standing on an altar at a conference and I cried. And if you know anything about me, you'd know I, I don't cry much at all. And I was standing on an altar and I cried in prayer because uh, I was praying for a son and I just knew that heaven had heard my prayer. And about two or three months after that, Jillian fell pregnant and I didn't tell her at the time, but I knew it was a boy. And then, you know, we got the scans and the scans confirmed that it was a boy. And then Will was born. And from the time that he's born, I've loved that kid so much. Uh, he taught himself to ride a bicycle, this kid. He's just an absolute freak of nature. Just, I came out one side, outside one day and he was riding a bicycle without training wheels. It's a parenting moment I never got to have. And you can imagine how horrible it was for any parent and how it was for me when Will was about, I think, about three and a half years old and he contracted an autoimmune disease. And I was driving down the street when I discovered this and I went back to the hotel room. I was in Melbourne. Where I just got back from there last night. And I was in Melbourne and I got into my hotel room in the middle of the night and I began to pray. And I said, God, not not my son, this is, this is what I have wanted. This is what I have yearned for. This is what I have desired in my life. I mean, I really don't care, God, I just want, I want a son. And here he is sick and attached to him is dreams and aspirations and desires and a lot happened in the middle of that night. I, I mean, I've prayed for a lot more sick people after that night and seen them healed than before it. And God gave me a whole revelation that He is the healer. And I believe that was part of His miracle. He had an amazing recovery from the disease. But you know what happened was that in the middle of that night, I realized that I needed to take the gift, my son, and give him back to the giver. And in surrender, is when our lives change. And guys, if we're gonna do this thing, if we're gonna worship the one true God, we take everything we want, have, and desire, and we surrender it to Him. That's when God becomes God, and gods become things. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.